Hi, this podcast is brought to you by Able Training Support Limited, who deliver over 250 engaging and informative training courses to settings that care for or educate adults or children. They deliver face-to-face, virtual and e-learning courses across the UK, and they specialise in courses around understanding people and improving practice. Visit able-training.co.uk for more information. Okay, uh, welcome to uh, the Able to Care podcast, uh, episode three, I believe this is. So uh, welcome back from myself, um, Andy Baker, head trainer and uh, manager director of Able Training, um, and my co-presenter, Nadine. Hi. Uh, So... As far as uh, number three, thank you again so much for all the feedback we've had from the previous podcasts. Um, we, we're really enjoying doing them and hoping we're going to keep them going. Um, the one we're going to do this time is uh, on a little bit more of a somber mo- note, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that some people out there may be aware of, that there's been a, a panorama program. Um, obviously, there's been a few panorama scandals that have come out over the years. The famous one being Castlebeck, uh, Winterbourne View in Bristol. Uh, there was a G4S one as well, wasn't there, as far as the uh, the young offenders um, environment, uh, where people have gone in with hidden cameras and um, raised awareness around abusive behaviour, inappropriate actions of staff and things like that. And unfortunately, there's been uh, another recent one that came uh, first aired in September um, and it's only available on YouTube. It's called uh, Undercover Hospital Patients at Risk, and it's about a mental health hospital um, or a mental health unit within an NHS trust in uh, Endon Field in Manchester. Um, and it's, it's again, it's raised a lot of concerns and, and somebody's gone with a hidden camera and found lots of, I suppose, inappropriate is probably the most de- kind of diplomatic way of putting it. Mm. Um, actions of, of staff and, and a, an unhealthy culture and inappropriate actions and abuse. And obviously there has been a lot of people who lost their job around this. And again, it's just... It's just been another episode that's drawn people's attention to that something's not right in the way that we're we're caring for people uh, with mental health issues, learning disabilities, um, etc. Watching the documentary, I mean, we both sat and watched it last night as well. I think it's quite an emotive thing. I think mm. it's um, both of us were upset by it and equally angry. Um, uh, I know my son Josh watched it as well, and he sort of described it as going. It was it was kind of disgusting to watch, and it upset him and and made him angry as well. It's never nice to watch these particular programs, is it? No, um, definitely not. I think one of the shocking things about it is that it's that realization that that behaviour actually still happens and exists today. Like we're in two thousand and twenty-two. Yeah. Especially within the care sets, a lot we're all for person-centered care, making sure people are looked after properly, and mental health is one of the most talked about subjects within media those kinds of things so it's just it was it was kind of shocking to think that that still exists like now yeah that we would have we would have probably heard about that in like the 80s and it would have been relatively normal I I don't want to say that that's a good good thing obviously but yeah I I think that's the shot that like how and why is it happening now? Yeah, hundred percent. And I think it's a strange thing, isn't it, that you know, within the what we class it as a woke generation, a council culture, or whatever it is, there's yeah. so many people who are upset about so many things now mm-hmm. that you kind of think that those those the stuff that people get upset about about use of language, about the things in the media, about celebrities saying stuff. But then there's these things that are going on in environments that should care mm. that people 
are ignoring or not ignoring but not aware of and these are the things that maybe should really matter to people yeah, of, of people actually experiencing genuine discrimination abuse yeah. um and and detrimental to their general emotional well-being due mm -hmm. to ongoing almost torturous and degrading behavior yeah, um, rather agree. than just getting upset by one thing i think it's yeah. so so different it puts things into context and perspective a little bit sometimes massively and i think as well as an organization i think we have a bit of an expectation on the nhs that they're there for us and they do right by us and in those sorts of you know you would think uh, imagine it from a personal point of view like mm -hmm. you're sending your child there to get and receive yeah. some help yeah. this is an nhs organization so obviously it's, they're going to have the best staff of course yeah. they are their health like their, their care they're everything at the heart of what care should be yeah and then i can't imagine the upset that the family members felt i mean we we watched the reactions of them yeah and that was literally heartbreaking that i've sent my family member or loved one into this this environment 100%. and it, it's it's you know or they've been t detained and been sent there now if they're going there to get help and sort of rehabilitate and those kinds of things fantastic but their lives have got worse since being in there yeah and that that must just be so heartbreaking 100 100 one of the things i would sort of say as a bit of a proviso that obviously any tv program is going to kind of pick out the very worst yeah. and i think there was some bits they showed in there that were kind of positive forms of care one that we discussed and said we didn't feel it was positive yeah but there was obviously some really good stuff there and i always want to try and draw away from having that dichotomy of they must have been evil or the staff there must be evil because i think yeah good people are very capable of behaving in bad ways it was very much cultured behavior in there so yeah. this is the way that we do things around here and yeah. this everybody does it it's fine because even those on a managerial scale i'm you know they were behaving in such ways as well mm. so it's very yeah. much a a cultural thing massively my preferred definition of culture is a set of shared values ideas beliefs and etiquette belonging to an institutional group um and by that definition it's just again you summarize it nicely the way we do things around here but it's the language we use it's the way we behave the way we think it's the core values of the organization isn't it and any new person's going to affect those values open up new ideas and i think sometimes you get a person coming in well i did this at my last place so they refuse to engage in kind of positive cultures or it could be they've got some really good ideas but well this is the way we do things here i've definitely found that as a as a trainer and i know you have as well where it's kind of you're offering a look there's a different way of going about this here's some ideas for you but you get that immediate oh that won't work yeah that won't work here we, we hear it a lot absolutely and it's not it's not because they've been willing to try it mm. it's because they've just decided that our culture does not work around that mm. and we are not even going to try or explore how we could do that we're going to put an immediate barrier in mm. and i think again that's where language comes into play that rather than looking at we can't it's like how can we even if you have to adapt it based towards your culture towards your setting towards however you where you work by looking at it as a question of well, how could we make that work rather than it wouldn't work mm. is a much more productive solution focused positive yeah. and person-centered way of exploring isn't it? one one thing just on the 
one staff member side of things it, it it can usually just take one staff member to change a whole culture mm. so this is the way that i did it at my other place or yeah. this is what we do here and those kinds of things so i hear that a lot that one staff member can affect the whole workplace culture yeah. and it's like a domino effect so when one person starts doing particular behaviors the next person will the next person will you see you see that quite a lot within this documentary so the yeah. swearing the language Imagine, so some service users enjoy, and I've come across these um, a few swear words here yeah. and there every now and again, okay? Now, that can easily be translated over to a staff member. This is acceptable because this is a way that they like being spoken to. Yeah. Very quickly, like wildfire, it then becomes derogatory to the service user. So it's no longer a shared thing. It's yeah. not It's not an uncommon thing. Like, oh, I've been mad enough. And those yeah. got, like, it's not an effing Jeff. It's more towards, to, towards the service user. And I noticed with those they all seem to swear in front of and about and call them names to the services. So you can see that domino effect of thinking it's so easy for it just to be okay because other people are doing it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So there's a few things related to, to culture, just kind of, so there's a principle called pluralistic ignorance. Mm. And pluralistic ignorance is that even though I don't think this is right, nobody else seems to be saying it's wrong, so I must be the one that's wrong. Mm. So this is a, a principle of form of cognitive bias. And the thing is, if I'm thinking, well, I don't think this is right, but nobody else is saying it's wrong, so maybe I'm wrong. But if everybody is thinking exactly the same thing and nobody's speaking up, then everybody may think that the behavior is wrong. Everybody may recognize it as inappropriate. You definitely saw that as one of the quotes going, oh, we get away with murder here. They knew it was wrong, but yeah. it was that case of but nobody else is saying it's wrong. There was a couple of instances, though. So I think one of the nurses, I don't know if we should say a name or whatever, but one of the nurses was being really quite derogatory. And I heard one of the other staff members say, Cheryl, you shouldn't say that. Yeah. And she was like, well, what? I am. Once she said something like that, mm. an element of now I've got to stick with it. And I've got to back I, it up. I've got to back it up. She, and she did. Yeah. Yeah. She backtracked. So she still made it derogatory to the service user. But, well, it's true, though, isn't it? Cows do sleep on haystacks. So, yeah. oh, okay, that makes it all right then. But she's talking about a service user, which is yeah. obviously completely yeah. wrong. 100%. Yeah. So, um. Yeah, I think a, a great example of pluralistic ignorance I get I get people to think about is um, when you've got an organization where they're running a fire drill and the fire alarm goes off and this member of staff stood here looking across at other members of staff going, well, they don't seem to be leaving the building. So maybe this is a drill and nobody told me. Mm -hmm. But then what's actually happened is though other member of staff are looking at that first member of staff going, well, they don't seem to be leaving. Maybe it's a drill and nobody told us. Yeah. And that's when then nobody leaves, nobody acts, nobody does anything. Yeah. Uh, and that's a kind of a peer pressure principle of we're, we are social animals. So we want to try and fit in we want to act like others are acting yeah and numerous kind of um uh when we're looking at the good and evil so the famous stanford prison experiment that most people would have come across where they took about 24 people they created a fake prison uh where they made 12 of them prisoners and 12 of them prison guards and they had to abandon the experiment in less than a week because the guards had started to become torturous and abusive and the prisoners had started to become defiant and difficult and were, were, um, were being subordinate, okay? And they started to fall into these roles um, where they started acting this particular way. And the, the behavior, the experiment had to be abandoned because 
it was getting to the point where the the guards were behaving torturously. They were torturing the individuals, even though these were perfectly normal people, you know, from um, uh, from similar walks of life. They weren't actually prisoners, but they just started to fall into these roles of being authority and subordinate and acting in certain ways. And that can be seen. I, I noticed a real similarity in that. It's a very versus situation. The it's culture was it's them. us versus them. Yeah, they're the patients. We're the staff. They're the problem. We're the solution. Yeah, and it was it was very much kind of it wasn't a us and them versus their challenges, their difficulties, their mm. mental health needs and stuff like that. It was they are the bad. We nobody are the good. was on those service users' side. No. Nobody. Nobody was. We no, definitely not in the examples that no. we're shown in the video there. Yeah. So I think there's a few specific examples that we could kind of refer to so obviously there was um, a lot of focus in the in the film on a particular young lady um called harley which yeah. is okay as i mentioned her name i'm sure we're okay to mention her name so her um her diagnosis was she was on the autistic spectrum and also she demonstrated self-harming behavior mm -hmm. and i think harley was one the ones that throughout the entire documentary they kept kind of coming back to her a little bit yeah. of numerous situations that were heart-wrenching i think the language used towards harley i think they use terms like why did she get sent here okay do you know if we're getting rid of that means a battle now do you know what she's the council of the world it needs cutting out send her to prison forgive me but that's what she needs a good thrashing we're looking at this from an external point of view yeah Harley may be a very complex young lady mm -hmm. and she may pose a lot of challenges for the staff and be frustrating and difficult and the same as we all can be. And that's yeah. not to be derogatory to her in the slightest. And it doesn't excuse anything that happened to her. But one of the things that I think you could hear in all the language, in all the kind of reference to her, it was all focused on her negatives. And one of the things we generally try and promote when we're, we're teaching and working in settings is is focusing on that positive is we all have we are never one thing we are never evil difficult lazy there's times we're motivated and we work hard and there's times we sit on a bum and do nothing so are we lazy permanently or are we just it's it's not that we are lazy it's that lack of motivation for certain things I think one of them, <clears throat> so just in regarding to her case, I think it became really apparent of their feelings towards her because of how often she was put into seclusion and then left in seclusion. I think, again, one of the most upsetting things about that is that Holly was very aware. She had a big awareness that they don't like me. She felt that from yeah. the staff members. She knew that they didn't like her. I know they're trying to break, like some of the words that Holly was saying oh, to me, yeah. like, so they're trying to break me. They left her in seclusion for 20 days straight. Yeah. That I just think is one of the most upsetting heartbreaking things and i think and you know at mm. one point in the documentary they said well the staff need a break the staff need a break yeah. you know um so just please leave her in like seclusion yeah. she wasn't being secluded because of because she was a in, danger Im to herself or imminent risk to, yeah, yeah. Imminent risk, so she was being left in there yeah. for the benefit of not herself but for the staff members that's not what seclusion's for yeah, hundred percent. What one thing is I clocked on very early on is the guy who was actually doing the filming. He said mm. he did a one day induction training before mm -hmm. he was then on the floor, and I, they, I don't think enough. he didn't mention any additional training that he'd done. So one day induction of, of what? Now again, mm. he may have had previous experience, and that may have been considered. May have but, done. but how are you meant to work with people with complex needs if you don't understand those complex yeah. needs? So speaking so. from experience, care is one of the easiest jobs to get. It's more mm. the case of 
what shifts can you do? And yeah. that, and that's me being completely honest. Yeah, yeah. And that is genuinely what what shifts can you do? You know, that person centered care is how is, flexible are you rather than yeah? You, it's it's yeah. seriously a very easy job to get, and I really don't think it should be. A thousand percent. And I think that contributes to the culture. It's not held to a high value, yes. potentially. Yeah. If you don't feel like you're highly valued, you're not going to act in a way that, mm. that is valuable. Um, They're on minimum wage. So, yeah, oh, yeah, I think, yeah. you know, especially the healthcare support workers, like yes, £9.50 yeah. £9. an hour. Yeah. I can, you know, and speak again, speaking from experience, it is a difficult job. Mm. It's really, really tough when you're trying to understand the needs of somebody. Yeah. You, you, even as a as a staff team, it's like, we're not getting this right. What more can we do it is really tough it is a tough job there's one bit i'm just kind of thinking of when the um when they're doing the where they're falsifying documents and stuff there's a bit in there where they're uh, they're meant to be doing enhanced observations they're meant to be kind of checking on the uh on the patients every 15 minutes Mm. but there's a situation where somebody hasn't been checked for like three hours and stuff like that in case of like there's a reason the risk assessment specifies for for enhanced observations but they'll falsify those records and probably me, that absolutely they're coercing others into it and stuff like that. Yeah. But but why? What? Where was the pressure coming from mm-hmm. to falsify those records? And I think sometimes there's many places who who make a rod for their own back, where if they're understaffed and not able to do those enhanced observations, isn't it better to go? We can't do those enhanced observations because we haven't got we the can't staff, meet that, and yeah. therefore you are not providing an appropriate level of care within an organisation. Yeah. Rather than falsifying because they think they're going to get in trouble, mm-hmm. then going, "Hey, we can manage. We yeah. look, look, we're still getting everything done, even though it's a skeleton crew. Mm-hmm. It's like a short-term solution creating that long-term problem." Yeah. And one of the things I, it was a physiotherapist uh, friend of mine who attended a seminar and he told me about it, where. The lady sort of said, all physiotherapists in the room, and said, how are you, your caseloads? And they all said, we are absolutely jam-packed. You know, we are working extra hours. We're working outside of our hours. And she said, okay, so let's say I've got a case, though, where I've got a young lad, cerebral palsy, needing a physiotherapist. He's desperately uh, struggling at school. So who can fit him in? And they all sort of said that they would. They would jostle around. They'd, they'd find somewhere squeezing him in. I said, but that's a problem that even though you think you're doing something nice, mm. the, the powers that be, the purse strings, are going to go, well, they're managing. They fitted it in. If they went, no, we can't take him. Our caseloads are full. We can't take him. Mm. They would have to then invest more into more physiotherapists mm-hmm. to then go, well, we've got too many people. Yeah. And I see that in care sometimes where because they genuinely care in some settings, even though they're lowered staff numbers, it's a case of, but we, we just, we run around to get everything done but the quality of the care that we provide is reduced. I've seen we, it first. And yeah, we stop being quite as person-centered, become more task-focused, we rush the clients, we get people up, and yeah, we manage to get all the jobs on the list done, Yeah, but the quality of the care, the, the person-centeredness has gone out the window a little bit. So this is what management are hearing, aren't they? Oh, so you did manage to do it then, so you can do it. Yeah. Yes, I can, but everybody else is being affected by it 100%. but management in particular i'm not saying all managers no. there's some amazing care home or facility managers out there but most of the time that's the case of, oh you managed to do all that so it becomes really repetitive yeah yeah yeah, yeah definitely and i think it is just I think it's that, that that need to care, isn't it? Or that need to make sure that person's okay. That if mm. I don't look after them or don't, you know, if I've got five people that need support, mm-hmm. I can't leave one of them waiting yep. 
and because I'm trying to do it properly, I'm going to do it quick to try and make sure I fulfill all five. And yeah. it's it's a short term solution, but it adds to the long term problem. And I think that's one of the challenges. Yeah, the speeches, and I've I've said this before myself. Well, at least they've had the medication. At least they've managed to have breakfast. At least we've managed to get them dressed. But everything else in between has not been met. So as far as the um, I think that's the other thing, isn't it? As far as from the culture, there was another factor that we got from from the documentary and that was uh, boundaries mm. um, and I know that recently we've been getting a lot of inquiries around courses uh, particularly around boundaries and stuff like that and I think um, boundaries are not barriers is one thing I'd just kind of refer to um, that the boundaries are kind of a flexible movable thing but it's for the well-being of the clients and when we're looking mm. at like uh, some of the boundaries in there. One is a kind of a sexualization of some of the relationships. Mm -hmm. Some of them was the language they were using in front, as you said, swearing in front of clients in a derogatory way. Yeah. Or or referring to them as a third person when they were in the room. Yeah. One was physical touch. Oh, yeah. I mean, I say we will go on to the kind of restraint side of things, but the guy who pinched the woman, for example. Pinching. Um, you know, the derogatory comments. But mm. he was almost interacting with the services in a similar way he was acting towards the other staff members. Mm. It was okay, except he perceived them as lower than himself. Yeah, what do you do when she's like, oh, I smack her head against the wall and all. Oh, yeah. goes from laughing at Joanna to pinching her. And he just leant over and pinched like a real nasty, elongated pinch. Minutes later, Steve does it again, this time in front of Nurse Hannah. He jokes about seeing Joanna naked. I think it was the comment of her being naked. He says, oh, I don't want oh, yeah. nightmares and those kinds of things. Like, well, what, what makes you think you look good naked, love? Yeah, <laughs> that's what and, that, and that yeah, was in the it. initial thought. <laughs> such a vulnerable situation, isn't it? That, She's a woman, yeah. you know, and she doesn't want to be, well, no, I don't think anybody, no matter what gender, would want that being said to them. Mm. And at the end of the day, they're the ones that are going in there to do the personal care. The thing is with personal care, it's a really sensitive thing. Yeah. It's really, really sensitive. So if you imagine a loved one at home washing your bits and bobs and you're not feeling a slight sort of unease about it, whether it's your partner, your mum, your dad, whoever it might be, and then you've got a stranger standing outside a glass window saying your bits and bobs are going to give me nightmare. And this is somebody who is a professional who's trying to care for you. I can, again, only imagine how that would have made her feel personal care is a really intimate personal thing to do and it's and it should not be taken lightly at all 100 percent, 100 percent. so i think um a lot of the issue boundary i mean the other one was the the carers laughing through the window at the girl at the lady after she'd had her injection. it's antagonizing I mean, oh it was just yeah so upsetting so they maneuvered this patient onto her side it was the language that was used around this i just couldn't believe what I was hearing to be honest. As if we'd choose to see your ass. I promise if you shit yourself you will be clean. After injecting Claire they tell her she'll have to stay in the room for an hour. <laughs> they locked the door and they opened slats in the glass and they were laughing at her.
wolf pack behavior yeah and that's both how of the, them together the, a psychiatrist uh, that was was mm. doing some feedback on it kind of described it wasn't it it's like a gang gang in yeah um, and, it, and it took you back to kind of old childlike playground like it's almost kind of a uh a famous film lord of the flies where it's you know the kids are on an island and they start becoming tribal and it's us versus them and it's yeah it, it felt that kind of almost um like a regression into playground like behavior and the way they were interacting watch, and interacting yeah. yeah and maybe it was that excuse to go into child state or, or whatever it was but yeah very yeah. A very immature mentality around that and again i can only think it was the power of authoritiveness mm. that would have you know or we like doing this because we've got the control so she says please can i leave so the service is shouted please can I leave and they went no <laughs> and started laughing at her now they could turn around and say well we was only joking yeah. but to that service she's like please i want to leave and i want to yeah. get out she wanted to leave that vicinity and they said no to her yeah. i know they released her if it, but they but even that they released her yeah. It, yeah it's it's awful i think so kind of combining those together as far as culture and boundaries are concerned that kind of leads on to so this is meant to be a therapeutic setting yes and one of the things we teach a lot is like therapeutic relationships and the therapeutic relationships is built around boundaries it's mm. caring it's respectful yeah um but it's also very boundaried yeah in the fact that you know if if i'm working with a service user or any person i'm not their friend mm. i may be friendly mm. but it's a it's a, not a two-way relationship you know mm. if i meet a friend for a coffee then i listen to their problems and we talk about it and then hopefully they listen to mine and we talk about it whereas as soon as you're going into any kind of helping relationship it's one way in this case i'm not here to listen to your problems my problem is i'll wait until i get home and i'll talk to my partner about it. it's it's not to be shared in this moment and i think you can see from those those boundaries that were kind of being crossed throughout but as well as a culture of that kind of derogatory focusing on the negative um, this bullying kind of culture that had kind of been created our overall aim for anybody in a mental health unit is improved outcomes is, yeah. is is getting better is is coping with life better mm. and i could see no evidence in any of the video none of them of where the actual therapy was coming into play you were expecting people to get better to improve the quality of life to build self-esteem to help them to cope with their emotions yeah through just locking them in a room yeah and I just couldn't see. I mean, maybe that's something that wasn't shown where the actual, you know, maybe they were doing counseling uh, sessions and stuff, but I definitely didn't I don't didn't think see so. I, I think the, the, the guy, the undercover guy said, like, there's supposed to be therapeutic activities that yeah. go on on a day-to-day basis, but it was mainly people vaping yeah. and watching music videos. Now, there was a group of service users that went into each other's room and they engaged in their own activity in there yeah. by watching pornography, didn't they? Which 100%. obviously is, goes against policies and procedures yeah. there. Yeah. So for them to be watching pornography, again, why is nothing else being offered? What else can they do? But yeah, the, the feeling was from that. And again, we could be completely wrong. We don't always know. Yeah. But if the staff are sleeping on shift, it says an awful lot for what's going on with the service users. So one of the things I want to talk about a little bit about, I mean, boredom. Any parent knows, and this is so simple and basic, isn't it? That if you it leave your basic. child with nothing to do, that child is going to find something to do that probably isn't well, going to be appropriate. You. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're either the best of you, do something to get some attention, yeah. or they'll find something you don't want them to do. If you don't give them a toy, they'll start playing with your ornaments. Yeah. And it, you know, it's so simple mentality. And I think I find it shocking mm. that that isn't then immediately adapted over to mm. any setting. Yeah. Um but again, you could say that, but I suppose 
how many of us when we're very busy have fallen fall uh, or fall into trap of just sticking the kid in front of the tv and going well that can babysit you for a while yeah if you've got loads of stuff going on it, so. yes but you can have a lot of stuff going on my problem is with those staff members they seem to have the time yeah. to buller they had a plenty of time for that yeah. when they wasn't doing their ob you know inverted commas observations yeah. they had loads of times to be able to torture or torment those service users even whilst there was in seclusion they was gonna harm nobody yeah. they're still just standing outside tormenting them yeah. they could have been doing therapeutic where they're like we just want to talk to very you how true. about you come out for five minutes we'll come and have a cup of tea together there was none of that yeah, very so true. i don't believe for one minute any of those stuff they none of them looked overworked no. none of, I, I know we've only seen a snippet don't get yeah. me wrong staff member you know, care is overworked understaffed that's the problem but they were even they wasn't doing observations and observation yeah. is going and looking and actively making sure someone's okay what were they doing whilst doing that yeah they were all sleeping today she's in charge of the ward but she's taking a nap she was out there for about an hour properly fast asleep in full view of the rest of the hospital it's not just hannah while i'm here i see six other members of staff sleeping on shift if you feel undervalued, if, if you've got low self-esteem as far as your role's concerned, then it's not going to promote positive actions from anybody. No, of course. I think that's the, um, uh, we were having a chat last night, weren't we, as far as um, uh, the, the principle of um, neuroregenesis, which is a, a, a relatively new understanding. And I think that ties in nice when we're working with those with dementia and, and mm. things like that, that we found that once upon a time, it used to be thought that um, we have uh, a limited amount of neurons and as we get older if we drink or bang our heads they die but we can't create any more and now we're starting to learn that the more stimulating environment is actually the the plasticity of the brain remains throughout life and new neurons can be created i think one of the things that i saw from that that culture from the environment as well as being dark dingy minimalist dirty it wasn't in any way homely it was very very kind of clinical mm -hmm. um and the overuse of seclusion and isolation as well. There was no stimulus. And I think um, I talk sometimes about what's called the rat park studies. So the rat park studies where, um, where rats put in a cage where they were given a choice between pressing a lever that would provide them with food or pressing a lever that would provide them with um, basically cocaine. Um, the, the rats all chose cocaine over food and they would starve themselves to get this dopamine hit of cocaine. And it was this, it was a big kind of study that showed um, the power of drugs and the power of addiction. But then they did a different version of this particular study where the rats were put in highly stimulating environments. They weren't just in a blank cage with no kind of support. They had socialization, they had engagement, they had activities going on in the environment and that highly stimulating environment for the rats, they started taking the food. They didn't mm. touch the, the uh, cocaine. Which, so they were getting their dopamine, they were getting their pleasure from the environment, from social engagement. And that was a real kind of turning point. And you could see there from, they had the two guys, one alcoholic and the one guy on crack and stuff. And they were absconding from the unit or leaving the unit mm. to go and engage in those addictions again. I'm not surprised. I'm not you know, shocked. Yeah. Because if there's nothing else to do other than sit, watch TV, vape and stuff like that, then of course they're going to regress back to or, ch or go back to things that actually give them pleasure because they're not getting that pleasure from anywhere else. It just wasn't, <clears throat> excuse me, and in, in it, enabling environment in no. the slightest so it's what's done and said 
that arises out of the person yeah. but you have to do it with them yeah and in that environment it was a case of you fend for yourselves yeah and we will retaliate if you don't go or conform to our yeah our and, ideas and i think the um the guy said it the guy who did the uh the actual filming he said at the end didn't he as far as the strength of the patients was just phenomenal being yeah. able to cope with that understimulating boring environment i mean because I it know, became normal for them yeah, didn't 100%. it 100 yeah. percent. but i know from from personal experience you know i've always not had um uh, there's been mo times in my life where I've, I've struggled with my own kind of mental well-being and stuff like that and being on your own and having nothing to do and being left with nothing but your own thoughts is definitely not mm, a positive thing it's not it tends to then deteriorate worse and and so i don't see the therapeutic benefits in that whatsoever as far as just leaving people with their own thoughts if those thoughts are negative it's not going to improve their outcomes reduce self-harm you know yeah reduce aggression through any of those those actions was it and and that kind of leads us on as far as the seclusion and the restraint side of things the, the use of isolation um was was for me quite horrific um i think it was one bit where the, the lady was talking about that i used to be allowed five bears and a photograph and she was just limited to having anything again it's that yeah massive level of understimulation within the environment that that's not going to improve outcomes it's not going to improve behavior it's not going to improve positive engagement self-esteem it's only mm. going to deteriorate it so how are we looking to get a person better if we're just taking everything away from them? Yeah. Patients should only be isolated in seclusion when the behavior is thought to be an immediate risk to others and only for the shortest time necessary. During my time undercover, I see 10 patients held in these seclusion rooms, many for weeks on end. The patients in seclusion can't even crack a window. Harley's been in seclusion for more than two weeks. She's occasionally allowed out but only into the room I'm observing her from. She too is being held in a seclusion room. I'm told she's attacked staff and has been locked up like this for more than a year. She has only seen other people through a little pane of glass. Alice has allowed two teddy bears and almost nothing else. Not even a photo of her granddad who died while she was in here. So the idea of uh, seclusion or isolation is, again, it's that a minimum uh, danger and it should be for the shortest period of time. Yeah. Um, these people was in there for the longest periods of time, but deprived of other things as well. So this particular girl that you're on about, she was allowed two teddy bears mm. and she had to knock on the window every time she wanted to see a picture of a deceased grandfather yeah. who, di who died while she was in there. Yeah. And to deprive somebody of a photo, I don't know yeah. why, other than that it's quite callous. I think it was... Um... There's almost a, there's a thing called the all pot scale and the all pot scale is around prejudice and discrimination. Um, and it looks at kind of, uh, the, the stages of discrimination that happen. It starts off with derogatory use of language. Then mm. it leads us into kind of, um, reducing access to, uh, uh, to services and leisure and stuff like that governmental. And it's it, the all pot scale kind of draws out where people can get to the point of what the Nazis did as far as wiping groups of people out because they thought they dehumanized them. They mm. saw them as less than human, less than themselves. But I could see an awful lot of that significant discrimination yeah. around within that. They, they were dehumanizing. They were because you, you wouldn't treat an animal. You wouldn't put a dog in a cage with no stimulus, lock it away in a, a cage. I think a family member never... stated that as well. She says you wouldn't treat a dog like no. that. 
100%. And I bet some of those staff members don't treat their dogs like that. No, 100%. They wouldn't, they definitely wouldn't treat their own children like that. Of course, they wouldn't. At least you would yeah. hope that they wouldn't, or their partner, yeah. or or they wouldn't ever expect themselves to be treated that way. Of course. And, yeah. and that's the thing, isn't it? As far as, you know, the, there is susceptibility for all of us with, mm. you know, to at some point in our lives suffer from, from mental illness, and we may never reach it to a state where we need to be hospitalized or anything like that. But we all have that. There is always a possibility that any of us could become ill course, in some yeah. way. You know, circumstances, hereditary, whatever it is. Mm. And whether it be down to dementia or mental health illness or anything along those lines, we have to kind of think, it could be my family member is in there. It could be me that's in there. How yeah. would I want to be treated? And it's like the golden rule, isn't it? Do what yeah. should be done by. Yeah. How, how would we want to be treated in that circumstance? I definitely think for, for this, for as long as it was going on for, and the scale that we've seen it at, this must have been happening for mm. a pretty long time to, yeah. for it to escalate and reach that scale. So like even with the restraining side of things, so with Harley, they they sort of made a decision of how they were going to restrain her. Yeah. They went into a room and she was sitting on the floor. She's minimal risk down there. She's not a risk at that moment in time. They just went in, no therapeutic talking, no discussion, yeah. just went in and restrained her. And then they were shocked and surprised when she retaliated. They decide Harley has to go back into seclusion. I've seen Harley do what she's asked before, but today that doesn't seem to be an option. Someone just needs to go in and say to them, oh, this is what's happening, and get them go. Literally just doing it straight away. There's no negotiation here. When we get to Harley, she sat on the floor. I teach a lot of restraint training. Um, you know, we're, we're part of the Restraint Reduction Network. We're an Institute British, uh, of, of Conflict Management. We do an awful lot. And our big thing is that restraint and mm. seclusion, any form of physical intervention should be an absolute last resort. Mm -hmm. And I think that's most of us now perceive that as the best case practice. There isn't many organizations out there that don't deem it like that. So it was really shocking to see that it was a, it wasn't the last resort. It was the first resort that they went in with. Yeah. You know, there was no communication, de-escalation request. We have tried everything else mm. and this was the only option we had left. It wasn't about managing the risk. Um, and one of the things that I'm trying to get over is that we should always use in the least restrictive measure, least restrictive use of force. That doesn't mean that doing nothing verbal is always the least restrictive, but it's least restrictive to manage the risk mm -hmm. with the seclusion. That wasn't the least restrictive to manage the risk. No. It wasn't. It's just a case of it's easier and quicker to lock her in a room or quicker and easier to just go in and grab her and throw her in a room rather than it was to actually communicate. Try this, try that, try the other monitor supervision. And, and there was nothing appropriate. I mean, there was criticism about the the chaos of the of the restraint, and I agreed with the the uh, the guy from the nursing background there that mm. the restraints aren't pretty. They're they're not they're not no. always organised or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, there was just there were, it was a language that was being used. There was no 
And the, and the same thing happened when the lady was being injected as well, when they yeah. were restraining her and holding her to be rejected, which, I mean, that wasn't uh, an it, approved you know, kind of methodology or anything like that. That, that was horrific to watch because she was saying, please, I don't want it, I don't want yeah. it. They didn't weigh up any cost versus benefit. Like, would it be de detrimental or is just right now not the right time? Yeah. Can we document this and try again later? Yeah. They forced her. Yeah. It's just, it's abuse just on a massive scale. It is. That's what yeah. it is. And, and I understand kind of that you could, uh, they could argue and they could potentially self-justify it that, well, she has to have a medication. She needs a medication. But it's still, yeah. I, but but why you're doing it for therapeutic benefit? But then mm. you're doing something that's significant. Is it is it life saving medication that she needs? And I I think in my mind I'd be able to say, oh, okay. But even the way that they went around it, they literally rolled her onto her side, so undignified. Yeah, and was. she was and she was saying the words, you know, there's she was saying, I don't want it, yeah. please, please, I don't want it. There's even a point where I talked about it, it was um, Harley again, where they said they were putting into the conclusion, and I make a, made a note of it. Two staff went to put her in holds and she kicked out of them. Mm. So she ended up then in two weeks of seclusion. Mm. It, and why is there a, I don't understand. And, and when we did, uh, when we had uh, a guy called Kev come in who had lived experience of being restrained and kind of uh, came in and talked to us about uh, our course and was involved in designing the course, he said, you have to remember, if you are taking somebody's control away from them, mm. they will lash out in any way that they can. That's very If you normal. are doing something against their will, it is human nature to fight against that force. If a f and human, the other thing is human nature as well, and, and this is one of the things when I'm teaching physical intervention, if a force is exerted on us, we tend to instinctively counter that force with force. If somebody pushes me my instinct is to lean towards the push not to move away from it if somebody if i've got a hold of rope and they're pulling it my instinct is to lean back away so again even with the mechanics of of this isn't something they plan to do this is just the nature of if you put force on me i will counter that force with force and again that perception of that so that's her kicking off that's her behaving badly that's her mm. doing wrong um and and the words and the terminology that they were using towards her she was using back. They yeah. were calling her disgusting, vile, nasty piece of work, whatever. And she was throwing those words straight back at them. As yeah. Get off me, you, you pervy man or creepy man. Or whatever. Yeah. I can't remember what it was that she was saying now. But what, what shocks me, like, we understand a bit of fight, like, flight, fight and freeze. I think most humans do nowadays. I mean, it's 2022. Yeah. We read a lot of stuff about the brain and yeah. why we react in certain situations and those things. These guys are healthcare professionals. Surely they would know they're putting somebody in a restraint without telling her why. Yeah. <clears throat> why are you so surprised that she spat at you? Why yeah. are you so surprised she's because if somebody put you in restraint, you'd probably do the same. I struggle with that side of things. I struggle with the <clears throat> why are they failing to sort of understand that. Yeah. And I think just that general I think when I've looked at um, done an awful lot of kind of study on good and evil and good and bad and whether people are innately evil and stuff like that. And, and one big thing and theme that seems to come across universally is that it isn't necessarily good or bad. It's a lack of empathy that the people who have done innately evil things at that time, they've struggled to put themselves in the other person's shoes and see the world through their eyes. They have lacked that empathy to feel the feelings the other person's feeling. And I think, um, what you saw there and what had happened within the, the setting is there was a complete lack of empathy across the board. Now, that's quite common in burnout um, mm. 
and uh, where individuals are overworked and overstressed and stuff like that, we tend to naturally lose empathy when we're not feeling very well, when we're tired, when we're kind of overworked, we lose that empathic feel sometimes. Um, and I think you could see that across the board. There was just that. So whether there's a causal factor of being overworked or whether the culture was a lack of empathy, I yeah. would say it's a bit of a combination of, of all I of it I think together. it's a combination, but it doesn't make me have any more empathy for them i'll be i'll be completely honest with you i feel yeah, very yeah. very black and white about this subject that was again abused just on a on a horrid scale yeah and I, we can take into consideration like all those factors i think being understaffed was probably one of the main things as well factors, yeah, yeah and we have burnout and stuff like that but for you to be able to treat another human being that are like that they are vulnerable they are there for a reason i just I don't, I don't think the person's evil, but very lacking in knowledge. And Again, and I'm not saying that there shouldn't be consequences for it. It's the same as like, we know. But there has been, hasn't there? Yeah. And obviously, I know a lot of them have lost their job and things quite rightly, and they shouldn't be in this career if they can't regulate. They shouldn't be in the like care sector, definitely. Um, but it's like, like speeding. Like um, most people have gone over the speed limit, mm. especially when stressed because I'm running late. I'm gonna this. So suddenly that knowing good and right and wrong and acting in a rational yeah. way and looking at the consequences of behavior starts to deteriorate so but it doesn't mean that speeding is okay it doesn't it no. doesn't mean if they then hit a kid and killed a kid because the kid ran out and they couldn't stop because they're going fast and speed limit then oh well it was okay they were stressed yeah but i think just generally so these you know what public opinions are yeah. like i've read a lot of comments and, mm. and those kinds of things I think even though that is a one-off incident or it, it, it's not necessarily one-off, it's a case of like this is actually happening underneath our noses. Yeah. I think it's a good thing that obviously that we know about it. It does make us rethink and it gets those conversations going. So. But unfortunately, I think it's just another nail in the coffin for the NHS in, 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 a, in a way and the stigma around the NHS that yeah. most mental institutions, that, that's the kind of perception now. When we was yeah. moving away from it, but we've kind of come back to it yeah. now. Yeah. And it's the stigma against care, which is a real big shame because I can honestly say a lot of carers, I, ne I very, very, very rarely ever mm. meet a carer like how they behave. 100%. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's, it's kind of a final thought or bring yeah. it to a close that I would recommend anybody in care mm. to watch this. Yeah. With an, end, an element of, and I, and I, when I'm, I used to show the uh, Winterbourne View Castleback, and I used to say, look, this doesn't mean I think this could happen in mm. your, or would happen in your environment, is the way I put it. I don't think it would happen in your environment, but I don't want you to be under the misapprehension that it couldn't. Yes. And by watching it and forcing yourself to kind of pick up on those signs and question that, well, are the staff engaging therapeutically? Are we getting that culture of blame, criticism, negative derogatory comments? Even yeah. if it's only happening in the staff room, it isn't happening in front of. But are they hyper-focused on the negative attributes of the service users rather than the positive? Yeah. So is there burnout going on? Is there poor culture? I think it's so important for whether it be management or individuals to kind yeah. of go, this isn't right. Yeah. We need to change our our mentality we need to change our communication we need to change the, the what we're doing mm. to improve and also that it's such a it's a bad apple that spoils it for the rest isn't it that most care settings that we go to genuinely yeah. care There's genuinely so many have lovely, staff yeah. and, and do look after people in a very positive way definitely but it's the the bad ones that kind of spread and it's, yeah. it's the bad ones that kind of that no person should have to experience those kind of those kind of environments no, definitely um, not. So just as a reminder, the uh, it is available on YouTube. It's called Undercover Hospital Patients at Risk. It's about an hour long. 
um, have something lined up positive afterwards to, mm, to bring your mood up because it is quite an emotive watch. But I think it's really important that people watch it, educated by it and use it as an example of what not to do um, and, and learn from it as much as anything else. Yeah. Thank you for watching this episode of the podcast. Please remember to like, comment and subscribe to support us or send us an email at podcast at able-training.co.uk to get in contact with any stories, questions or comments. Thank you very much.